0: Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Mike and Laurent. It is Friday, July 23rd. Wow, summer's coming. In this episode, I'm alone. Mike is in the wind. He's in the streets. He's doing what he needs to do. We will talk the rise of Europe in women's football, pro-rel in the USA, and soccer stats, 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 stats. But first i'm gonna talk a little bit about uh where where i'm feeling with transfers basically don't listen to any transfers until they're done because really it's completely absurd it doesn't make a difference they talk about the same five teams over and over again buying all the teams and if you actually went through and looked at all the players they were going to potentially buy And you thought, oh, yeah, I guess my team is doing stuff. They're just talking shit. It's all crap. For instance, today, someone from the Sun, uh, England's least reputable newspaper owned by Rupert Murdoch, reported a story that became soccer news. This is the celebrity reporter overheard Jack Grealish say at a party that he'd like to play for, or though that, that Harry Kane would like to play for City and that it would be fun to play with Kevin De Bruyne and that they have a deal on the table for 160 uh, uh, million euros. That became news. That was the rumor. The gossip person, not the sports person, not the person talking to agents, not anything, the gossip person. So you really, there's only a handful of actual sources and things that make sense. So, you know, when you think about a big transfer window, especially in the Premier League, what you have to remember is anything over three players in a single transfer window is a lot. I think, I mean, I'm not talking about like 18-year-olds and little people and little side deals that have been in the works, uh, just more housekeeping. I'm talking like, when harry kane goes to x or when this player goes to here uh, i think there was a famous you know the spurs had a famous five uh the the bail five or Bale four it was soldado lamella paulinho mike would know but that was a lot i mean they brought in five or six players all at once erickson and that was weird and when city were building up the team they had two or three transfer windows of four players like Silva, Yaya, uh, 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 Korolov, and Boateng all came in one window, and I was like, "Oh my God, City spending money, this is insane!" Or, or a couple of years ago, City got um, Stones, Walker, uh, and Mendy, and Silva in one window, and that was that was the big that was the big, oh my God, Peps did an overhaul. Anything more than that, if, especially if you haven't like planned the whole thing out. Is just too much, and you shouldn't expect it to be more. Like, for instance, if Man United do Sancho, Varane, and one other player, that's a huge window. And you know, if you listen to the news, the transfer windows for Man United are everyone. You know, it's Kesa, it's Holland, it's 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 Lewandowski. If there's a player, there are five teams that they're connected to. And that's all we do i mean it's like this crazy mad cap system that we just jump 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 one to one to one to one to one i mean it's all bunk so just keep that in mind when you listen to the transfer window i mean we all get excited we all want it to happen we want it to happen yesterday but pump the brakes your team will get players every team refreshes um you know if you're a united fan you should be worried because as far as i know ed woodward's still in charge and he has not exactly closed deals well, but they did get Sancho over the line. Um, City usually have things done by now, but it's an, it's an interesting season. There's a lot of articles going around about how transfers have changed, and the Athletic is the place for that. They've done a good job of picking up those types of stories uh, along the lines there. But, you know, the big one is Harry Kane, $160 million to City. Nope. That's just not happening. If it does, I'll be wrong again. Uh, I've been wrong before, and and I'll be wrong again. I mean, if it happens, it happens. I think, you know, it would be great to have Harry Kane, but... I mean... Ugh. We don't need Harry Kane. Harry Kane is so good that... He's so good that he can do the role of two players. He basically is like a half Kevin De Bruyne, half Lewandowski, but... City don't need that. They just need Lewandowski. (laughs) They just need a finisher. Um, So that part's really interesting, and and I'm not sure um, how that's going to go. But, um, you know, speaking of transfers and all these things, one of the things that got me really fired up for this women's season, the women's national team season, and the Olympics is going on, and the big news is that the United States lost 3-0 to Sweden after having won 44 games in a row. Um, Mike and I are Eurocentric. We're not USA, USA, USA. Mike more so than I am. But I think that we noticed in watching the World Cup, especially the last one, I guess 2017. I mean, the U.S. is the is reigning champions. It's great. Uh, Mike has specific problems with uh, Megan Rapinoe's politics, but that's a whole nother show i love her as a player she's my favorite player she's 35 uh carrie lloyd who played at city and i have a lot of respect for she's 39 um um, the team has no attacking players under the age of 26 i thought rose lavelle was our young player and she's 26 and under jill ellis we the United States has been playing this sort of antiquated football where we just run and kick. And and when you watch the U.S. women's national team, you see women that are athletes, like see, noticeably bigger than the women that they're playing against. Uh, Julie Ertz is monstrous. Uh, uh, Carrie Muse is monstrous. These are big, strong women. And the United States has been essentially getting away with Playing antiquated football, four four two. Jill Ellis is English. They just played regular, standard kick and chase, physical football, uh, where they just overpower teams. But I think, especially in Europe, Europe has gotten super duper competitive, and the United States lost to Sweden, and it's not a surprise. If you watch the Champions League over the last seven years in women's football, it has been owned by the French team, Olympic Lyonnais. And they their their women's team make up the backbone of the french team and the french were the favorites in the women's world cup in france but they they fell apart somehow but the money invested by the frankly smarter clubs in england especially chelsea arsenal manchester city they understand the concept of extending their brands to have women's teams you can only grow so much if you're just going after that same 18 to 34 year old man in England. They're not gonna, they're not gonna grow that group. That group's not gonna spend more money. They're done. They're tapped out. You can see it in the TV um, package sales. They're not growing in England for who's watching. But you can grow, even if it, you can grow on the woman's side, even if it's still men mostly watching. Bringing women in and investing in women is a huge untapped market it's relatively cheap and you can do it pretty quickly so that competitive fight is spilling into these teams they want to win to raise the level even if they're even if their motivations are nefarious in that they want to raise money and make their team more money part of making more money is winning in soccer in Europe winning equates to sponsorship equates to revenue so what when Manchester City's team wins a lot, or Chelsea's women's team wins, which they have an amazing coach, Emma Hayes, she's fucking the best. She's curses on the sidelines. Anyway, when their team wins, then they can go to their sponsor and go to Lucas Oil and say, hey, yes, the men's team is X, but we're reaching women 18 to 34, and that's a valuable demographic, and they can grow their brand that way. And all I'm trying to say is the growth of women's soccer in Europe, we just saw a Barcelona team, annihilate the whole universe. It was an incredible feat means that there's an armed race and players are getting better, better coaching, and they're better than their American counterparts when they get together, because they've had full-term coaching with full-time, uh, full-time teams, full-time coaching associated with the men teams. The whole thing is rolled under into these mega teams while in the NWSL. Sure, there's the Red Stars in Chicago, but that team is on its own. It's not sharing um the Chicago Fires uh, facilities. And 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 in that case, it's not sharing the Chicago Fires facilities. They're not there's an LA team that's just starting. It's not sharing LA Galaxy. There's no LAFC women, and even if there are, they're independent and they have to fight to just get their hand on the rung. Now, granted, the women's national team has high, spends well and whatever, they can fight about equity. It's probably the best funded national team in the, in the world. But the European teams, specifically in South America, too, they're all figuring this out slowly but surely, that, hey, half our country, we need to invest in our women. The gap, the lead that the U.S. had because of Title IX over the decades has disappeared and european teams are spending money and the equity and all this me too and all this equity it matters and they are spending money and these teams have better coaching better facilities they're sharing resources with their 150 year old male clubs granted a lot of terrible things have happened women aren't getting treated fairly but the women's game in the europe is good uh england it's the same fight the same fight we see in the top of the premier league The same fight is happening in the women's league. Granted, it's only a 12-team league. They only play a handful of games. But it's still Chelsea, City, Arsenal going to war. Manchester United, disgustingly, and this is a whole episode that I wanted to chat about, spent money on their team. Pandemic hit. They're now stripping their team. Disgusting. The biggest fucking team in the world with the strongest soccer brand in the world is exiting women's soccer right when it should. And their coach, uh, Stony, I don't know her name, is actually coming to San Diego to, to start the women's team with the GM, who's Jill Ella. So a little bit of weird stuff that's mixing in with San Diego. So I'm really just blown away uh, at the women's team. And just how it's set up and who's been selected, the United States has selected just the oldest team we have by far uh, the best opportunity to, um, at this stream, uh, we have the best opportunity in the world to show, I mean, just unbelievable numbers. I want to share, I want to show everyone these numbers. Uh, this is from 2019. This is every country's, uh, football federation. Let's just, I'm just going to give you a really quick summary. It just blew my mind. I knew the U S had more players, but this blew me away. So this is by confederation. These are the basically the continents around the world that uh, that play soccer, right? So this is Asia. Uh, we, we you know we we uh, we think about sorry we think about in Asia we have Japan who are World Cup champion. Australia has really great women's sports. They've always had really great sports. This is the number of women over eighteen who are who are registered. You know, a good number. Very nice. Okay. Look at the United States. Nine. We have a hunt. We have as more women registered to play soccer in the United States than all the other groups combined. 200,000, 70,000. We have 1.8 million, 37,000, 42,000 under 18 and then here in uh, in europe oh excuse me they have almost a million and half a million over 18 registered to play they they beat us uh we have one hundred and forty six thousand under 18 and europe has half a million of over 18. so europe is doing better but with with less uh resources with less of a denominator but it's incredible that the united states has 1. Point, has 9 million women and girls registered to play. 1.9 1.8 million registered under 18. But only we're not making professional players. We're not making adults. We're not adults aren't playing whereas in Europe the adults are playing. And Sweden who just beat the US have 109,000 adults registered to play whereas the United States does not. We only have 80,000 And we still run out the same fucking 11 women uh, over and over again. Let's just look at the women's national team roster. Just really quickly. I'm just going to, just to give you a sense of the age of the team. Oh, this doesn't have their age. I'll I'll find the, the wiki list. Anyway, they're all too old. <laughs> they just it's just an incredible array of older players and you'd expect that we would just have younger players it's just shocking that we don't have anyone to replace um uh our our, our stars and I, and I think part of that is part of that is um is money i think part of it is the power of the players they are allowed to run their club the way they see fit and then we want to see them like they become stars. And so we hold on to them and we want to see, we want to see uh, Morgan and we want to see Rapino and we want to see Lloyd and Muis and Lavelle. And that's all well and good, but they're old and Sweden pressed them off the pitch and ran them down. They had no time. They, the, my my image of the game is Rose Lavelle in the midfield with her head, with the, with the with her feet at the ball, looking for someone to pass it to. No one came to her. They look like they didn't know what they were doing. And these are group stages and the Olympics has tough qualifiers. I don't expect the United States to get out of it. I honestly don't. I, if they didn't get a medal, I would not be surprised at all, at all. I mean, yes, they're incredible. It's, it's amazing. What, uh, what I think the United States is getting a reckoning of is a historical precedent. In 1953, in the game of the century, England played Hungary and got blown out 5-3 and then played them again a year later and got blown out 7-1. And that was the moment that England got off its fucking high horse, figured out that Europeans actually knew what they were doing playing soccer, and the arrogance disappeared and they had to change the way they played. And it's not a surprise that in the 60s, uh, England won the World Cup and, and Celtic won the European cup in 68 and met in 67 and men United in in 68. And that was, they needed a wake up call to change how they played. And so I think this is, this might be the tournament that the United States goes, yeah, we, uh, we need to get better. I don't know who this new coach is. I, you know, women's soccer is different. Why not get the best men? Like, I don't understand. Like if it's this valuable and it means this much, why not have Bill Brad, Phil Bradley, uh, uh, Bob Bradley, like, why can't he coach like I don't I don't see the differentiation between a men's coach and a woman's coach it's still football and uh, I just think they should be able to do it so that's crazy in other other big big news um, the USL has openly started discussing with their board of governors uh, the USL is the second division of uh of the US Soccer League and has historically had a partnership with MLS but they've recently broken up uh that partnership. And the USL's structure is surprisingly similar to England's. They actually have two leagues already, the USL Championship and the USL Division 2. And they are actively discussing creating promotion and relegation within their league. Not only that, they are actively discussing moving their calendar to the European calendar. In case you don't know, American soccer plays on the South American uh, timer. We start in March and end in April, whereas in uh, I can't remember, as opposed to the European calendar, which starts in August and ends in May. Yeah, I think that's right. So it starts in March. And yeah, we we don't go over the Christmas period. There's been arguments for it for years we don't want to go against the NFL. We don't want to do this. We want to be more like South America. I think that, you know, there's a lot of American soccer fans who fantasize about promotion and relegation because it creates a competition to win right now. The MLS, most of the games don't matter during the regular season uh, teams ramp up, wait for the playoffs. There's three rounds and it really, we, we, we have the same, soccer is a different sport. It it, it doesn't really work without something on the game. Uh, it's weird in that it, it doesn't have that juice and oomph. And I think fans know it, and they see Premier League and European and South America, what we saw at the Copa, uh, a fight level that is beyond our understanding and a mentality of like, we have to win or survive, or you fall through the moon door. The USL is... Setting up essentially a full shadow structure behind um, behind. I'm just gonna I'm just dragging it to the USL just so we can see uh, just what it looks like. It's got it's got a couple of leagues underneath it, and it's centralized. Uh, they do their own production just like um, the Premier League do. Premier League actually produces all its things and says, hey, country, do you want the show? Uh, USL does that. And they've basically been vending out their rights to their entire system uh, to ESPN. So just a really quick, um, you can see over here, there's USL1, that's the top level. That, that's the that's the league. There's the championship. Then you've got USL1 and League2. And they're starting a women's league as well to compete with uh, the NWSL. They just believe that soccer in its purest sense has competition up and down. They are rejecting the American sport model of franchise. Uh, Yes, all these teams are partnered. Yes, they're all working together, but this is at a lower level. They're trying to create the structure of European soccer. And I'm for it. I, I think that MLS is a little bit resting on its laurels i don't think it's a league that's it's fake growing it's growing by expansion rather than having teams grow if you look at the ratings for the mls they're very poor the game experience is great like i used to go to nycfc games and you know you see um teams like cincinnati who have come up from the usl uh, uh become really good what the usl has been traditionally has been the place where a franchise will prove itself, and then the, the MLS will pick it off if it's good. Uh, the only team that they didn't do that with was Sacramento FC, who just couldn't get their stadium together. But Cincinnati comes from, from USL, uh, Minnesota comes from USL, um, Atlanta didn't, uh, a couple of other teams I can't remember. Uh, oh, Orlando Pride. Orlando comes from the USL. So they would just find strong clubs. And then USL would find a way to regenerate and find a new club. And it's a strong league. I enjoy it. They have, they're have they on ESPN+. Plus. My team right here in San Diego, the San Diego Loyal, is a USL team because we didn't get an MLS team. But I would support the team if they went down. I mean, the idea of, of promotion and relegation, even though in the US it would have to be a little bit different because of the regions, you'd have to make it at least time zone based within how it works. I don't know if you'd want someone, you know, an East coast team getting relegated and having to travel to the West, especially on the wages that they have, but it's good to see a fight, a change, a challenge, a push to do it differently. We've been hearing from Don Garber, uh, the commissioner of the MLS saying, Oh, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. Um, The MLS is essentially run by former NFL guys. And like I talked about many times before, European soccer looks to the NFL as a model, which is what the Super League was. And American soccer looks to Europe as a model. And we're always envious of what we don't have and not appreciative of what we do. But uh, I think in the US, from a competitive perspective, like from a competition perspective, promotion and relegation is good. Uh, from a business perspective, it's awful. Uh, but you're going to have to find a way to keep the competition and keep the businesses going. And I think um, I think the USL has the right idea, especially if they aren't so dependent on television money that they can spread it around um, uh, the the systems and let these local markets grow and allow there to be a system where a team that's small can grow into at least the second level of American soccer. I mean, I watched USL. It's enjoyable. It's a good level. Uh, I've had moments already. Last week, Loyal were down uh, down, a, down, a man and down a goal and came back in 1-2-1, and I felt the football feelings, and I can talk about it right now, and I'm looking forward. I'm going with Lisa to see uh, the Loyal on Saturday, and it's exciting. It's a good league, and I, I think the MLS – is not significantly better. Honestly, it's just not. Uh, Yes, each team has three or four stars, but when you watch it, I mean, for a normal fan, for a fan experience and going to a game, it's fine. So uh, I really enjoy it. I'm looking forward and hope that the USL uh, Board of Governors makes that call and does indeed, um, and does indeed Go to promotion and or relegation but before we get relegated we need to talk about our friend Joe at attitude of gratitude and uh, he's been helping us so much with our bills we're taking care of things he is a fine financial consultant he really works at the tactical level trying to make sure that your bills are paid off and you have a structure in place and rules and a process to help you through so Please contact Joe at Attitude of Gratitude Consulting. It is a very unique way to save you plenty of cash on your monthly bills. Visit Attitude of Gratitude Consulting for more info. And I'm gonna take a sip from my Men in Blazers cup. before I talk about the wonderful sunflower meadow seasonings. Uh, We love to snack at the Squeaky Bum Time podcast. And man, we just received our latest shipment of seasonings from Sunflower Meadow Seasonings. They have their brand new cheddar beer dip exclusively made for the Chop Sports Network. You can go on their website. You will see the Chop Sports logo. It's delicious. You have to try it. Mention Chop Sports when you talk to Jess and save some money. Visit sunflowermeadowseasonings.com for their entire lineup of products. It is incredible. Back to the show. Okay. So one of the things uh, I'd like to sort of shout out to everybody is please subscribe to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast group. This week I shared two different uh, videos. uh, Sorry, two different infographics I made based on the incredible, the guys who brought you baseballreference.com, one of the life-changing time sucks of history uh for baseball fans has brought that to the premier league and soccer so fbref.com incredible website um has got soccer statistics now and really what i was doing was just hunting down looking into the premier league and i wanted to know you know who who's Who's affecting play um, more than anyone? And this table right here was what I shared the player shot creation per 90 table. And I just sorted it by um, shots created. And I just wanted to, you know, see what there was to see. And uh what came up was what I expected. Bruno Fernandez is the top was the top creator and you know he led the league in goals and assists made sense. Now this shot creation thing is a is the two steps before a shot is created. Now not all shots are the same and um, of course Mike lost his mind because um, my shot creation tool didn't have Harry Kane on it, which bothered him. And that's fine. But, um, you know, you see that I saw some players I didn't think. Like, I didn't know or have a good sense that Mason Mount was that good. I knew that he played under under Lampard and he played under Tuchel. But that he was the second leading shot creator in the league was impressive. What impressed me more, though, was Jack Grealish being third and only playing 24 games. So when I – the first thing I shared was – per 90 minutes. And, you know, players who didn't play a lot got highly rated. So Hakim Ziyech barely made it. I didn't realize it was only 13 games, 13 times that he played 90 games. But he made a lot of substitution. So his minutes were very close to Grealish. Sorry, that's age. Uh, he, you know, they, 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 the qualifier was you needed to play at least a third of all minutes available, so 30 minutes of all uh, your team games. But, you know, when you watch Ziyech, he usually threw a diagonal cross into the box and created shots. Mason Mount, Fernandez, Madison was there, which was interesting because he missed a lot of games. Rodrigo for Leeds. <coughs> that one threw me off because he was poor and sort of didn't really break through. It was more Rafael, Rafinha, who did all the work for Leeds. But it's an interesting list when you actually go in and start breaking them down. They have all the different types. Uh, dead ball passing. Uh, so you get guys like uh, when you go from the dead ball, from a dead ball that's all free kicks and stuff like that. You you see Mason Mount led the league. Uh, and then you get guys like Creswell, Ward Prowse, Pasquale Gross, these sort of set-piece specialists, Luke Shaw. uh uh, Alexander Arnold, guys who create shots off the dribble, meaning they ran at someone and created a shot. Adama Traore makes sense. Harry Kane, I was surprised to see him there. Bertrand Traore from Bella. Your your attackers, your Zaha's, your Sterling's, Neto, Alan Sane-Maxim, these guys were just incredible guys. These are shot creations. The one that was incredible, the list that was more of like the hockey assist, was goal creations. Again, that's where Kane shows up. He led the league in assists. Uh, but Vardy didn't score as many goals as he'd like to, but he was really good at creating shots. So I've been using this a lot to sort of illustrate and tell stories about the players that we love in our league. And the reason why you want to dive deep, and, I, and I, you do get pushback. There were some good conversations that happened on the, on the Facebook group as I shared it across the web. People don't want to hear stats in soccer. They're like, oh, that's bullshit. I'm like, well, if you want to understand players who are affecting games that maybe are on teams where there's not a good finisher, or you want to understand, hey, I watched that game and it looked like we were good. Like, I can't tell you how many games I've watched where City completely annihilated a team. And City aren't a good example of this, but Completely annihilated team, but you're like, why didn't we win? Well, we created chances. We did everything we were supposed to do, but we weren't able to win. Or, for instance, you know, my love for Brighton is beyond the pale. But this actually captures the problems Brighton had. They were awesome at creating shots uh, as a team, but they were not great at creating goal opportunities. So it gives you more nuanced insight into what you see. It, it gives you outcomes that help you um that help you kind of get the eye test and the outcomes to make sense right so like when you watch a game and you know that the other team was playing really well but they lose anyway they'll show up you'll see these players that create and when it's time for the transfer window to come up and you can bring up a player's name and you're like yo that dude is good i know he plays for West Ham. I know he plays for whatever, <clears throat> but hey, that guy's good. Or maybe this season they'll be lucky. Oh, they got a good striker. Who is the guy providing balls in that I know is now going to be the assist man? We've got Mike's Fantasy League coming up. This is a good way to find bargains or deals of like guys who weren't high in fantasy but were really good at shot creation would be undervalued because shot creation, shots of the Lifeblood of goals. You can't score if you don't shoot. And granted, they might be creating. There are bad shots and there are good shots. But usually, if you outshoot a team, you're likely outscore them. It's a little bit like that. Um, you do win the expected goals battle. Blah 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 blah. Now, Harry Kane led the league in assists, even though he wasn't the top shot creator because of the way Spurs played. They were very much a get good shots and finish them versus hold the ball, take a lot of shots. And that's what was so frustrating about them. And you can ask Mike and listen to the whole season about it. But I recommend really getting in here, having a look at this thing and playing around inside fbref.com. Uh, the guy, Sean Foreman, I've sent him some emails over the years. You know, I'm just in awe of the work he did. I can't believe that this site is now covering soccer that I fell in love with baseball about. And it's incredible that it's here. And I'm just so happy that I can use it now for soccer and talk shit the way I talk shit in, uh, in all the other things. So uh, it's super exciting. Uh, and uh, I recommend everyone look at it. It is a quiet time <laughs> in sports right now. Um, there's not much going on. We've got the Olympic, the Olympic soccer is playing. It's under 23s. Uh, there is a question going on. There are some young players that are really playing a lot. So Pedri and Richarlison, Pedri from Spain, who's a Barcelona player, just played a full season at Barca, just played the Euros and is now playing the Olympics. Chari was worried about whether he should be playing or getting hurt. I don't know the right answer. I just hope that for his sake, he's 18 years old. He doesn't like blow out his knee for Barca because it'd be a shame to see it. And then Richarlison... It's just kind of a, an athlete. I think he, he wants to run. I think it's a matter of what. We don't know. I mean, sports science and rest is an interesting topic. We know you can overplay. We know certain things, but it's not exact. There's a lot of art involved. We have this red zone thing of like, your vi- they take all the players' vitals. And if you're in the red, then you have to rest. And, you know, you rotate the squad. And, You know, Guardiola last season, City really rotated players. I know all the fantasy players know. Nobody really had more than 30 starts, maybe a handful. And then some guys that were playing a lot sort of dropped out. And the only player who was locked down to play was Ruben Diaz. And that was probably too much. But – and Kyle Walker kind of for the first month and then for the first sort of half of the season, then not the back half. But it is interesting. We'll see after COVID – After all this stuff, how we end up at the end with rest. We're slowly but surely getting back into normal seasons. We had a weird, we've got Olympics, we've got Euros. Then we're going to have a World Cup in like 16 months. So I don't know how that's going to affect everything. But I just hope that the players we love and care about don't get hurt the way we sort of had in the NBA this season where congrats to the Milwaukee Bucks, who basically won on attrition, they were the best team with the least injuries. Uh, I don't think they would win every season. They probably wouldn't have beat the uh, Brooklyn, but they survived and didn't get hurt, and so they get to win. And I, I loved, I love Giannis, despite the fact that he's an Arsenal fan, uh, and that was pretty exciting to uh, to be there and watch it. Anyway, uh, seeing as I'm alone and I'm on the 37th minute mark. Let's take it away. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast without Mike Salerno and with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the CHOP Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple or anywhere else, please rate and review the show. Please sign up for the Facebook group. Tell us what you want to hear, and we will put it into the show. Thank you. Mike will be back.